you're listening to an electrical industries charity podcast. Before we get started, it's important to let you know that we're going to be talking about complex issues which may be triggering, so we hope that you only listen if you feel that you're in the right headspace to do so. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description of this episode's content. These stories and this podcast are unique and personal to the people we're speaking with, and the views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily represent those of the Electrical Industries Charity. So, let's jump in. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today, aptly titled Mental Health Matters, not only to discuss mental health and the related matters surrounding mental health, but also because mental health really does matter to us at the EIC and should matter to you too. This is a special episode because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and at the EIC, we're very much about creating awareness and breaking the stigma that surrounds mental health within our industry, as well as in day-to-day life and nationally. Fran, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background, where you come from what's going on my day job that pays the bills as such but I wouldn't describe that this is my only part of my life I work with legal and corporate clients to help them with change so that's really current right now after the pandemic but everything that I help them with is to do with people so it's very people focused it's all about understanding the needs of people their learning methods how they like to communicate so that's where the mental health part fits in there as well because in companies it's helping them embed cultures that drive happy people promote well-being and then I'd say outside of work I have a huge passion for mental health and just sort of day-to-day so one of the things that I'm training to do is become a personal trainer but that is all about getting to that place where you can build a space for people that are nervous about coming into a gym where exercise can help their mental health and then I also um, run a mental health foundation um, alongside three others that helps the skateboarding industry and their mental health and well-being. Amazing. That's incredible. About all all aspects there are fantastic. Let's talk about the foundation. Do you want to give us some background there too? Yeah, of course. So the foundation was set up um, in memory of my cousin Ben, who was a professional skateboarder. It was my cousin Lucy that set it up and then it's myself and two other trustees that that run it and the foundation was set up in his memory but also to help the skateboarding world with awareness around mental health suicide prevention uh, spotting the signs of suicide and also how to just be there for each other on a day-to-day basis so that you can actually support and look for those signs before someone is in that place of feeling suicidal as well it's the other part of the foundation is it's suicide prevention but one part that I'm really passionate about is also what suicide leaves behind so that's everything from loved ones and what that does to them also the stigma in the society right now around suicide and also my big passion within the foundation is actually not being scared of the word suicide so a lot of my part that I empower is how to have those conversations and not be scared of them so that's the Ben Raymers foundation from my perspective in a in a nutshell yeah and I think you know you've raised uh, an incredibly valid point there that you know, suicide is is such a challenging topic to discuss, and is is almost somewhat taboo in today's society. And it, and it really is, you know, the conversations that that need to be opened and that need to be, you know, had effectively to to encourage that prevention and to ensure that that's there. Could you could you maybe could we elaborate on that slightly? Could you talk about ways that we may be able to to assist the prevention here? 
I think the first thing I would say is is not being scared of that word and what it means. And also if you're thinking about what someone's life could involve or feel like to them before they get suicidal. So there's the role, I think, in that of checking in on each other and supporting each other. But one of my biggest lessons, I think, from personal experiences is not trying to fix people that are feeling suicidal and I think that's what people struggle with in society right now is if there is a loved one or someone around them that is suicidal they feel like they need to fix and voice that onto the person and the person that's feeling suicidal doesn't want to be fixed so I think there's this part of just if you're worried about someone not being scared to ask them have you got suicidal feelings creating that space for them to have a conversation around suicide without judgment and without saying, well, you need to, we need to do this or you need to go and see this person. Or it's, I think it's about as friends and family, loved ones, creating those conversations and that space for that to happen. I think as well, there's a part around asking twice as well. Uh, so we all say, hello, like, how are you? How's your day? Or, and I think actually a lot of people keep a lot of things closed or not well closed or further back and never be afraid to ask twice um about someone or check in or some on someone also you say the word suicide to someone as well i think people think if you say it they are then going to take their lives but that whole stigma needs to be changed as well actually by asking someone who's suicidal asking them if they feel suicidal you're giving off a message that you're comfortable with having that conversation um so i think there are a few things that i would sort of say are good things to look out for or to encourage others to do yeah and to really open the floor there and give them the opportunity to to speak about it effectively it's almost a permission that you know we're we're working and and as are you to to break that stigma and to challenge that constantly but it is it's a real thing and and you know dare i say we are in somewhat of a mental health crisis at the moment we are experiencing a huge number of uh, you know far too great a number of of, of suicide and preventable deaths in in within this industry and and nationally you know uh, just one statistic that springs to mind one that that comes from our trainings and our awareness sessions is that within the electrical industry you're actually 2.7 times more likely to complete suicide than the average person a statistic that astounds me you know every single time i say it it really does and it's and it's so relevant to every single person every single person needs to have the awareness on this. I think as an as an industry, we're between 80 and 85% male dominated. And you know, you, you have the stigma that's very much attached with that. But I think I think it's approximately 75% of suicides that, that are male. Again, just, just heartbreaking and a shocking statistic there. But obviously, again, it's relevant to everyone. It's relevant to male, female, or all genders. I think on that male... Um, statistic as well with suicide one thing after we lost Ben is people are very quickly to very quick to ask oh what was the reason and for loved ones it's that we don't know and I think people are too quick to assume especially with males some of the reasons why the males take their lives but again it's that stigma of being too too quick to judge I think and also that person that's taken their life 
when people go, oh, it was, it's really selfish of them. That person took their life because actually they feel like everyone will have an easier, happier life if they're not around. So that's the other stigma that I think needs to be removed about that selfish part, which is also very much associated with, with um, males as well. So again, your statistic, I think, is, and your industry where it's very male-dominated is really um, relevant. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, within the UIC, and, and I'm sure yourself too, suicide is very much a side effect of, you know, me- mental poor mental health and, and, you know, being unable to manage that effectively and, and, and it's and it's a side effect and it's it's that final straw effectively. Um, I know, I mean, we, we do. We, and, you know, going back to, to the corporate world and how you then look to employ, you know, methods of perhaps raising awareness and, and raising, um, you know, support around mental health, what, what sort of things do you employ? What do you do? So I think in the corporate world especially there's this... Um there can be this element of perfectionism and high achievers and what something that I've learned through working with clients like this and I and I actually I've had lived experience of this where I've left a company for this reason is that you have leaders that are uh, tick boxing around mental health so what they were portraying to the rest of the world is that they're focusing on this but then actually internally the culture is really really different and people are treated differently and just an example that I've witnessed with a leader that I've worked with is if they ask how are you and you you give your answer and then you ask them back how are you I had a leader once I worked with for seven months who never answered that question and so, and what I mean by that is he'd go, yeah, I'm fine. And he'd move on. So he'd very, very quickly move it on. And so I think in not just corporate companies, but any companies, there's this big pattern between leaders have a role to play in empowering bringing yourselves to work and what I mean by that is you don't have to leave your personal life and your anything going anything that you're struggling with or anything that's part of your life that could be affecting your mental health you should feel like you can bring that to work in terms of talking to others and leaders have a role to play to create that space for everyone in their companies to do that and so that's what I mean by you've got to create these cultures that are not tick boxing. So not, okay, we give everyone three days or two days a year for a mental health day. Done. Tick box. Or we've got 10 people that are mental health first aiders. Done. Tick box. But actually, you've got people that feel like they can't open up or they're really struggling at home or their their identity is changing between being at work and being outside of work that's when you're not actually uh, focusing on mental health of your people so I think it's not just the corporate world but there's lots of similarities when I look at Ben as a skateboarder as a professional and that career where you start very young same with lawyers for example Um, could be electricians you start very very young then especially if you're someone like Ben who is in the limelight, you have all this pressure of the world watching you. And then say you do that until your early 20s and then you decide you don't want to do that anymore. The world spits you back out and actually 
you don't know any different you don't have a routine everyone else your peers and friends all around you have got other things going on in with their life so I think there's this real um part as well that companies have to play for of supporting in colleagues both inside work and outside work so another thing that I've been looking at is if you think about when people retire for example they literally retire and get spat back into the world and might not have known anything for 60 years and that's when mental health can really trigger as well both from the young age and the old age of is anyone supporting them with transitioning back um, so I think there's lots of things that if you look at mental health I, I don't like using the word work or career because mental health is so much bigger like that but obviously work is such a big part of people's lives and I think companies have a part to play in thinking about almost mapping where they need to support people and so that's something that I'm really focused on at the moment and uh, also storytelling so encouraging leaders um, at all companies to share their personal lived experience because again that's the only way you're going to encourage others to open up and share what they have going on as well yeah and again it's opening that floor isn't it it's having that relatability and it's something that we urge you know we urge everyone to do you know be open with your story provided that they're comfortable in being open because it will it will either serve to inspire or it will serve to again it's this idea of, of permission and, and valid uh, validity of uh, validating even you know that this idea of you know i can be who i am and and bring that to my workplace or bring that to my character without any fear of, of shame or embarrassment or stigma or you know perception within the workplace or in day-to-day life in general and I think the obviously the pandemic yeah. for the first time we all had to let each other in so what I mean by that is we all ex- exposed our family behind a screen we exposed our homes we exposed our routines our day-to-day and I think the one thing that all companies um I think are struggling with at the moment or trying to focus on is we, we all opened up to each other but actually as the world's starting to go back to normal it's how do you actually maintain that level of being open um, rather than going back to this sort of you put the work mask on and you come to work and you step back out and not be and feeling like you can't bring that other stuff that was going on behind the scene that we all had little glimpses off of each other how do we keep that going and how do we you know encourage people and ourselves to do that as well yeah and I think I mean the whole pandemic just as you described it there is somewhat oxymoronic in the sense that we we found ourselves having to open up our homes and our you know our day-to-day became very public within our perhaps workplace or for, for school children you know within their classrooms and yet you know, the whole world kind of closed in a way. So it, it kind of gave people that insight. And I know that went, you know, all different ways for all different people. But I think another thing that the industries are, are very much tackling at the moment is perhaps they're hybrid working now or they've gone majority working from home or, or solely working from home. They don't necessarily have the same contact levels. And I think, again, that can go one of two ways it's either a case of as you say we're removing that mask and we're you know giving people the you know we're removing that sense of going to work and putting your your happy face on and and sort of fulfilling your day 
but we're also removing that personable contact whereby you're sat with someone in the office perhaps and you're speaking about things as and when they pop into your mind. Obviously, we work predominantly through teams like ourselves. We do have a fantastic network within the EIC, but that's not necessarily true with every company. And quite often that there's isolation that's very much associated with that. And I suppose that leads nicely into kind of how we then identify when our well-being, when our own well-being or when a colleague's well-being isn't necessarily, you know, where we want it to be or, or you know, how we want to be feeling. Is, is there anything that, you know, you could make suggestion of how we can perhaps check in with ourselves or how we can be sort of more vigilant on that? I think one of the biggest ones is putting your own boundaries in and not being ashamed of those boundaries as well and I know that's easiest easier than said than done for a lot of people but I think we're all guilty of looking after everyone else and we put ourselves second but I always think you can't how can you look after anyone um, unless you're in sort of the the best place possible that you can be um I personally refer to mental health for myself a lot as like topping my tank up um and so I'm really really aware of that and so for example my mum recently had uh two strokes and I was three days into a new job um I was training for an Ironman my personal life had all these plans um and I had to very very quickly let that all go Um, And something I reflected on was how quickly and comfortable I was with letting that go. Uh, Five years ago, I would have really struggled with that. So I think there's this part as well with your own mental health of when life does throw cannonballs at you, not being afraid or ashamed of putting yourself first and making sure that you're looking after yourself and some things you have to drop um, and different priorities come in. And so I think that for me, that was, I had to drop all of those things to look after myself amongst um, my mum being very poorly. Um, and something someone explained to me a few years ago, and it's really stayed with me, is um, if you imagine your life is the sea, and as we know, the sea has such different levels of like, the waves can be really calm sometimes, and sometimes the waves can be really manic. And the way you look after your own mental health is two wooden posts that are in that sea and you can't control your life all the time that's the sea it does what it wants to do but you control your two posts and they obviously move when the sea and life gets tough so you have to focus on how you keep those two posts the most safe and rigid and look after you know looking after you and everyone else is this who they could be the people in the sea or the waves so that's really really stuck with me and I think from losing Ben to suicide there was that was the biggest test of how you look after to your own mental health and again from uh, my sleep was one of the things that I struggled with the most after Ben and um, one of my friends gave me a pass to a gym for a seven-day trial and it genuinely was exercise that made my sleep come back to a certain healthy level and that's why right now um, I have this huge passion for creating space in gyms where people that are struggling with their mental health can come in, not be intimidated by mirrors or people that are very focused on exercise, almost creating that space where if someone wants to be emotional and do exercise as well, that's absolutely fine. Because I don't think enough of that exists out there at the moment. And exercise has been 
one of the best things for keeping my tank topped up. It's an incredible initiative. I think, you know, it will do very well. And I think a lot of people can relate there, myself included. You know, I often avert the, I mean, I don't have a gym membership. I won't, (laughs) I won't fib. I'm not um, the most actively active person, but I do go for, I do go for walks. I like a Zumba class here and there, but I admittedly, you know, wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable walking into a gym. I Firstly, I don't really know what I'm doing, but especially if I am feeling emotionally vulnerable, having that safe space would prove, you know, invaluable to me and, and, to, and to anyone I imagine that would be in that situation. You know, the endorphins that exercise releases are completely imperative, aren't they, to, to feeling good. And I think having that encouragement and having that safe space is, is you know, an incredible, incredible initiative. Champion self-awareness too, and sort of being aware of perhaps you're feeling different. Just going back to that sort of checking in with yourself and, and being aware of your own mental well-being as well as those around you. I often implement like a three-step process that again is, you know, we, we can help with this at the EIC, but also you can you can put that into practice yourself. And, and number one is just identifying that there is a problem. And sometimes that is the most challenging step, just almost acknowledging that there there may be a problem and you know acknowledging that that problem may be work it may be family it may be your car that's that's packing up there, there's so many things that that could be and you might not even be able to put your finger on it at first but just thinking actually you know raising that flag and saying something something's not right here you know i'm not feeding how i used to and then you know step two and three are very much identifying what that problem is and then identifying somewhat of a solution and ultimately the solution isn't always you know removing the problem i don't think you can just remove a family. I'm not going to not going to lie about that. Um, but you know, sometimes it's about um, really implementing strategies of coping and strategies of handling things that have perhaps become overwhelming. And and that's you know part of problem solving. That's part of the role that that we do within the EIC. But it's also part of those sort of troubleshooting moments to really sort of self help. And and sometimes that's just you know, allowing yourself an hour of an evening to really have a bit of time to yourself and really self-reflect or making an extra cup of tea in the day where you just sort of sit alone in silence in bliss, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's another part is just um, what you said there about, you know, sitting with your thoughts as well. Um, I think we're all too quickly to think, oh, I can't have these thoughts or these are bad thoughts. I've got to push them away. Um, but I do think sometimes, yeah, sitting with your, like what you said, sitting with your thoughts and identifying what's coming through, why you're feeling like that is, I 100% agree, that's the hardest step, but the, the best one you can do. Yeah, so perhaps we could um, discuss just a few ways that someone may, you know, physically look after themselves. Is there anything that we might be able to do in day-to-day life to sort of give ourselves that, that little break there? I think it's working out what, helps you in your mental health whether that's walking the dog and making it like a non-negotiable in your day-to-day so identifying your non-negotiables I would say uh, for what helps you and then sticking to them Um, I think also saying never being afraid of saying no to something so I think we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves of got to see friends got to see families got to do exercise like all this stuff that we're like oh if I do all of this stuff then it makes me feel good but actually 
being able to say to yourself, I don't want to do that today is totally fine. And forgiving yourself that you don't want to do that. So that's where also with exercise, I think you've got to create that healthy relationship with it of not feeling guilty if you don't do it. Um, Yeah, so I would say identifying what works for you, being able to say no to it if you don't, you know, if there's certain things you don't want to do. Um, Also, never be afraid of checking in on your friends uh picking up the phone rather than all the other sort of communications that i think we all are so easily to to fall into um and there i i think they're the main they're definitely the main three um on my list too i think just really having that um ability to to self evaluate if you like and ensure that the the steps that you are taking are having a positive effect on you um you know i'm sure at that moment when you are you know doing the treadmill at the gym you might feel you know angry with the fact that you're having to do it but afterwards provided that you feel positive and you feel you know that you've you've had a, a positive outcome there i think it's it all makes it worth it um but you know if you don't enjoy the gym as you say you know to to remove that and to not be angry with yourself or frustrated with yourself for doing so and just be give yourself that that flexibility and that leeway you know some of some of the other ways that we have discussed within our groups and within our teams are you know sort of having a hobby and you know allocating that time you mentioned sort of you know um identifying your non-negotiables but actually scheduling those into your day-to-day as well so one one thing that i've found particularly helpful is is scheduling my breaks in um so even if it's like a five to ten minute coffee break you know just popping that into the diary because i get a little notification to say right you've got 15 minutes until your coffee break and it just gives you that effectively you know that break but it it also provides that time for self-reflection and that self-evaluation there too to make sure that you're checking in with yourself too but yeah amazing well Fran thank you so much for coming on today and for having this conversation with us it's been invaluable and uh, will continue to be I'm sure thank you for having me and I think there's just one thing I add to all of this is we've spoken a lot about ourselves but also never being afraid to ask for help that's the biggest thing I've learned from my personal experiences. We should all be okay with asking for help because if we all do that, then that's how we all help each other. Absolutely. And ultimately, you know, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. If you fell over and broke your leg tomorrow, I'd expect you to go to the hospital to have a cast put on, you know, to then engage in rehabilitation physiotherapy you know treatment until your leg was back in restoring order and ultimately if you are suffering with poor mental health that deserves exactly the same respect as any physical injury um so you know reach out for help the gp the hospital your friends your family you know the eic we have mine the samaritans too these will all be linked um but you know if you are part of the electrical and energy sector and you would like some support please do come through to the electrical industries charity our confidential helpline is available seven days a week eight till eight monday to friday nine to one on the weekends and that can be reached on 0800 652 1618 or please visit our website at www.electricalcharity.org to complete an application form and get through to us and we will be able to help um, you're not on your own if you or somebody else working in the electrical or energy industries is in need of support or you wish to donate to the Electrical Industries Charity, 
please get in touch via email at support at electricalcharity.org or you can call us on 0800 652 1618.